Good morning. Welcome to those uh, here in person and those online to Crosspoint this morning. My name is Kent. Um, as Stephen said, I'm the youth and college pastor here at Crosspoint. And um, yeah, the stage doesn't normally look like this if you're a visitor. And I just want to uh, say thank you to all the people on the setup staff. It looks amazing, does it not? I'm so excited for VBS tonight. Um, I can't wait to, to see all those little kiddos running around, learn about Jesus, um, and having a lot of fun while doing it. Um, this is the last Sunday. We're in a series called Wisdom for Life. Over the last several weeks, we have looked at various topics, um, and this morning we'll be ending with the topic of stewarding money with godly wisdom. Stewarding money with godly wisdom. With that, I want to start off with this quote. Money is a lousy means of keeping score. The futility of riches is stated very plainly in two places, the Bible and the income tax form. Instead of looking at tax forms this morning uh, for our source of truth on how to steward money, well, let's, let's go to God's Word, which stands true um, and never changes. Amen? Amen. Even though gas prices might change, right? Yeah? Even though inflation will keep on changing, most likely, taxes, jobs, bills, stock market, you name it. When it deals with finances, we see changes almost every single day. Financial changes can cause a stress, can cause fears, anxiety. So let's go to God's Word that never changes, brings comfort and hope to us. So with that, this morning we're going to be looking at three points that the book of Proverbs uh, teaches us on on how to steward money uh, with godly wisdom. First point is the source of money. Second point, the attitude toward money. And third point is the stewardship of money. So before we have to get into the practical ways of how to steward God's money, we have to lay a biblical foundation. So um, if you would please meet me in Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19. The first point that we're going over this morning is the source of money. Proverbs 19 is where we're going to be spending the majority of our time. And so if you have your Bibles open to Proverbs 19, specifically verse 21. Proverbs 19, specifically verse 21. I'll start reading from verse 21. Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Now, I just want to stop there for a moment. We see two things in this proverb. One, we see that we make plans. Humans make plans. Often, we make plans uh, based off what we see in our present, what we see right in front of us. We also see that God has plans. So, we make plans. God has plans. And these plans are already made before we were even born. And His plan prevails. This means that whether our plans are within God's plan or against God's plan, guess what? God's plan prevails. His sovereign will does not change. Psalm 139.16 says this, Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. This means that the events that happen in your life, in my life, are not by accident. Either God has allowed it or caused it to happen. 
right now, the fact that you're listening to this here in person or online is no accident. It is within God's sovereign plan for your life that you're listening. And this truth applies on on a very broad scale, but on a specific scale and, and specific areas in our lives, such as finances. Where you are right now financially is within God's sovereignty. Where you are right now financially is within God's sovereignty. Think about that. This does not necessarily mean that it's God's sovereign will for you to stay where you are at, but it is God's will where he has you right now in this specific moment in time. Because it's where God has you right now in this specific moment of time, we must live out this purpose of glorifying God and enjoying him forever in the present moment, to glorify God with what we have and to praise him for where he has us. For some of you, this is an easy truth to accept. You've seen clearly how God has blessed you. It's easy for you to be thankful and to glorify God with what has been given to you. For others, you might be thinking, Kent, how can this be? Why would a God who declares he loves me allow me to struggle financially? My answer to you is this. I hear you. I've been there. I know the struggle is painful. I don't know the why behind your specific situation. Only God knows that. Sometimes he reveals the why. Sometimes he just asks us to trust him. Take Job, for example, not in order to compare hardships, but in order to give an example of encouragement to you and to myself this morning. Most of us know the story of Job. If you don't, Job was a a godly man, and God uh, had blessed him with extreme wealth. Satan wanted to tempt Job to see if Job's heart was truly with God or if it was actually tied to his possessions. In God's sovereignty, he allowed Satan to take away everything from him, his children, his wealth. It came to a point that even his own wife told Job to curse God. At the point of desiring death, God spoke to Job and told him about his sovereignty, his power, his goodness. And in response, Job worshipped God. When Job was at his lowest, he glorified God. And Job never got the answer to his why. But when met with the truth of God's attributes, he worshipped God. The Apostle Paul also learned this throughout his life. And, um, and in prison, while he was there, he wrote to the church in Philippi and said this in Philippians 4, 12-13, I know how to make do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's able to be content because of his trust in God's sovereignty and strength. It's in the same attitude that Paul has that he also writes this to the the Thessalonians in Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. 
Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This means that where God has us in the present time in life, financially and overall, is enough. Is enough for us to give thanks and to praise Him. So whether you have much or whether you have little, it is God's will for you in Christ Jesus to give thanks and rejoice. Now, I know this can be hard for some of us. It goes against our, our sinful, selfish nature. Our flesh wants more and more and more. I'm there. I feel that on a real level. Our sinful flesh wants us to believe that satisfaction can be found in something material, something tangible, something that we can touch, something that we can see right in front of us. That if I just had a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that, then I'll be content. We as believers need to battle against our sinful flesh every single day. We do need to remind ourselves to be content because God and His sovereignty has us in the present moment. And our ultimate satisfaction is to be found in our relationship with Him. Now, I want to put this truth into practice very practically and, and this truth of being content with whatever we have. And so, uh, I want you to read with me the words that are going to be on the screen. Are they up there? Sweet. All right, read with me. God, thank you for where, where you have me right now financially. I praise you for you are sovereign and in control. Please continue to teach me how to glorify you with what you have given me. That's hard. That's hard to say sometimes with honesty. It's hard to sit there with open arms and open hands and declare that before God. That is what we are called to do. To know the source of where our money comes from is foundational to glorifying God in areas of our finances. Now let's continue from the head or knowledge about the source of money to our heart. And let's talk about our attitude toward money. The attitude toward money. In your Bibles, let's continue reading Proverbs 19. So if you pick it back up, I'm going to read verse 21 again and then move into verse 22. Proverbs 19, verse 21 says, Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Verse 22, What is desirable in a person is his fidelity. Better to be a poor person than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life. One will sleep at night without danger. For a moment, I just want to camp out and look at that first line of verse 22. I'm going to go back to that phrase. What is desirable in a person is his fidelity. Now, if you would allow me to have a quick Bible geek out moment here, I want to look at this word fidelity a little bit deeper. Fidelity is the word that means loyalty or faithfulness. Hence why the word infidelity, which we might hear more often, means unfaithful or disloyal. For example, when a spouse is unfaithful in their marriage towards the other spouse, we would say they've committed infidelity. The word fidelity that we see in Proverbs 19.22 in the original Hebrew is the word hesed. Now, some of you who might know a little bit of Hebrew, knows the word hesed. 
Others might be like, Kent, I don't know a single thing about Hebrew. This is new, and I don't understand what even, how do you say hesed? Now, stay with me for a moment. Hopefully, the dots will connect, and you'll see a beautiful picture. The Hebrew word hesed is the same word that describes the faithful love that God has toward the people he has a covenant with. So think about this for a moment. Hesed is an unfailing kind of love, faithful kindness, faithful goodness, and it's often used of God's love that is related to faithfulness to his covenant that he has with people. Hesed reveals the heart of God. It reveals his affections. The same word that describes the heart of God toward those who are in a covenant with him is used in this proverb to describe a heart of a person. What is desirable in a person is his fidelity. Since we know the word fidelity in Hebrew is hesed, this verse can read, what is desirable in a person will be his faithful love, kindness, and goodness. See, what we desire is where our affections are. It reveals where our, our hesed is. Then the verse continues and says, better to be a poor person than a liar. Now what in the world, how does that fit into that first line? And what does that even mean, better to be a poor person than a liar? Now what Solomon, the writer of this proverb, is saying is a person's hesed reveals their desires. It is better to desire faithfulness to God as a person who is poor rather than being someone who craves what they do not have and lies to get it. The focus is on not whether the person has wealth or not, but rather the heart's desire of who they are wanting to please, God or self. In his book, Dangerous Virtues, John Kessler addresses this concept of desiring more in order to serve self as he shares a conversation uh, that he, an electrician had um, with a wealthy man. The electrician was rewiring a house, and he asked a wealthy man this question. He asked, so how much is enough money? And the wealthy man said, just a little more. Kessler, the author of this book, continues and says this about the wealthy man's response. He says, there's a word for this condition. It's what the Bible calls greed. Greed, like lust and gluttony, is a sin of appetite. Most of us are pretty sure we don't suffer from greed because we don't see ourselves as wealthy. The rich are greedy, perhaps, but not us. The flaw in this reasoning is that desiring is not necessarily synonymous with having. It is certainly possible for a rich person to be greedy, but so might one who is poor. It is not the having, but the wanting that is the problem. Whatever I possess will not be enough if I succumb to the influence of greed. I must always have a little more. When we talk about the sin of greed, we're talking about uh, a misplaced worship. We're trying to find satisfaction, comfort, joy from something materialistic. 
when in true satisfaction, true comfort, true peace, true joy can only come from having a relationship with a sovereign and faithful, loving God who cares for you. And this is the main point we see here in Proverbs 19. God wants our heart. God wants your heart. God wants my heart, which includes how we view money. We see this in all three verses. Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. What is desirable in a person is his fidelity. Better be a poor person than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life. One will sleep at night without danger. We see the same focus in the teachings of Jesus. Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For these two passages, uh, we see what a God-glorifying attitude toward money looks like. When we look at these passages, we see what a God-glorifying glorifying attitude toward money looks like. It's an attitude that first acknowledges God as the source of all satisfaction and joy. It's an attitude that says money is something that should be used for God's glory, not my own glory. It's an attitude toward money that is other-oriented rather than self-oriented. It's by having this kind of attitude toward money that we can then steward money in a godly way. We can go from head knowledge to heart from heart attitude to now stewarding and living this truth out. So point number three, the stewardship of money. When we talk about stewardship, we are again acknowledging that the fact that, we, that what we have comes from God. Whatever has been given to us from God is entrusted to us to oversee and to utilize for His glory. Now, there was a, a pastor uh, at a church that I went to while I was in Moody. He used this illustration of his wallet tied to a balloon. And the balloon was in the shape of a heart. And he would move around on stage. And where the, his wallet went, guess what? There, that heart balloon followed. He would walk over here, and the balloon would trail behind, and it would catch up and it'd be right here, sitting right above his wallet. And it was an illustration about money and where your heart is. And it's impacted my life since then and, and how I steward money and how I think about stewardship of God's resources in my own life. And it illustrates this principle in Matthew 6 that I referred earlier of where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it shows that how we spend money, how we practically use the money, reveals where our hearts are at? You know, are we being other-oriented? Are, are we spending money in such a way to bless others, to provide for others? Or are we only using money for our own self-indulgences? Where we spend our money shows where our affections are at. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying you can't have nice things, because I don't want you to hear that and be like, oh, Kent says I can't have nice things. I can't do this or do that. I'm not saying you can't have nice things. I'm not saying that at all. 
What I am saying is don't let your lifestyle become an idol so that it's a hindrance for you to bless other people. Don't let your lifestyle become an idol so that it's a hindrance for you to bless other people. I want to ask you this question. Is how you steward money enabling or hindering you to bless other people? Is how you steward money enabling or hindering you to bless other people? This is the question we must ask ourselves when we, you know, make a budget, when uh, we think about how to spend the, the money, how do we think about utilizing the resources that God in His sovereignty has given us in this moment in time. On a practical level of, of blessing other people, we need to look at our family. You know, if you're a spouse or a, a parent, if you have someone else that is directly impacted by how you spend money, is how you steward money enabling you or hindering you to bless those closest to you? You know, the, Lex, the next level of, of being other-oriented and how we use money is, is your church family. How you steward money, does it enable or hinder you to bless those in your local church family? And then the, the final level of other-oriented is anyone else that you come into contact with outside the church. You know, maybe it's a random person who needs food that you meet on, on a street somewhere. Maybe it's an organization that has blessed your heart and you really want to support and, and give back to, to them. Or maybe it's sponsoring a child and a child sponsorship program. We, we had Compassion Sunday uh, a few Sundays ago. You know, is how you steward money enabling or hindering you to bless those outside of your local church as well? Now, the reality is this. We often fail at stewarding our money with godly wisdom. I often fail with stewarding money with godly wisdom. Sure, we might have seasons of life where we are other-oriented versus self, and we're, we're really stewarding money well, but I'm sure I'm not the only one in here who has made some poor financial decisions. I'm sure I'm not the only one in here who has caved into the temptation of greed. Wanted something so bad for myself and then went out and bought it. Not from an other-oriented heart, but from a self-focused heart. I'm sure I'm not the only one in here who has done that. And if you haven't already confessed that sin to God and asked for forgiveness, I want to give you hope. Hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. If this is you, I want to tell you that you don't have to carry that guilt of your sin or past decisions. The payment for your sin and my sin was nailed on a cross over 2,000 years ago. Amen. It was nailed in the form of God the Son, Jesus Christ. He bore our guilt and shame that results from our sin. So if you are here today and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your sin has already been paid for. God does not hold your sin against you. You are free to live the life that glorifies God and one that enjoys Him forever. And if you're here this morning and you've never confessed, though, you've never repented of your sins, you've never submitted to Jesus as your 
Lord and Savior of your life. I want to share with you that your guilt and your shame that you feel from your sin, you don't have to carry anymore. Come to the cross where the penalty of your sins was paid. God has promised us that if we confess and repent of our sins, He is faithful to forgive us. Not holding our sin against us anymore, but accepting it as a son or a daughter in His family. I hope and pray if that's you today, that you would humble yourself, you would confess Jesus Lord and Savior of your life today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time, this moment that we can open up your word. Yes, God, these truths are hard. Some of them hit us straight in the face. God, I pray that we would have an honest moment to examine ourselves. See where our heart's at, God. If we have sin in our life that we need to confess in the areas of how we've stewarded, stewarded your money, God, I pray that you would bring that to our heart and that we would confess that, God, and that you would forgive us for that. God, my prayer for myself and each individual here is that we would live a life that glorifies you, that loves you and love others well. And that includes how we steward our finances. God, I pray that you would continue to give us wisdom and strength in how to do that well. In times where we have plenty, and in times where we have little, and it seems like our finances are really, really tight, God, I pray that we would turn to you, that we would give you thanks, that we would praise you for where you have us in your sovereignty right now. That we would submit to your kingship, to you as Lord of our lives, that we would seek to honor you in every aspect. God, we love you. We serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we close this morning's service, I want to read from Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you, protect you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. Amen, amen, and amen.